This is the unfiltered truth about entrepreneurship. Raw, no BS, no sugarcoating. Welcome to Entrepreneur Intel. I'm your host, Wes Matthews. Each episode, we'll learn from experienced founders and uncover the top 5% learnings that led to their success in all things personal, family, and business. This show is sponsored by Stealth Consulting, delivering clear marketing strategies, ROI, and no surprises. I am super excited for today's guest. Today's guest is an absolute legend in the football world. He's a sports broadcasting titan known as the voice of Michigan football, the radio announcer for the Michigan Wolverines football team from 1979 to 2021. I think that's 42 years. Yeah. Radio announcer for the Detroit Lions from 1987 to 2017. If my math is correct, that's 30 years. Inducted into the Michigan Sports Hall of Fame in 2013. Played in two Rose Bowls. Host of the podcast, The Brandy Show. Author of Volume 1 and 2 of The Voices of Michigan Stadium. Former host of Inside Michigan Football. Welcome, Jim, Jim Brandstatter. Wes, thank you very much. It's good to be with you. I didn't realize I did all that stuff. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, busy. I gotta tell you, I'm, I, you know, I interview a lot of people. I was a little bit intimidated and a little bit nervous to, to get you on today. So I'm definitely gracious that you were able to come on because there's a lot going on with Michigan football and the lions. And you're probably the best wealth of knowledge on, on these topics here. I was going to say, you sure picked a good time to do uh, uh, this podcast and to interview me because Jim Harbaugh just left Michigan to go to Los Angeles to go to the NFL after winning a national championship. The Lions are in an NFC championship game against San Francisco. By the time we get this out, those that game will be decided. But, yeah, it's it's a really big, big time in the state of Michigan for football and uh, kind of right in my wheelhouse. So you've been, you've been in this for over or around 50 years. You, you've been in this arena. <laughs> Like what? What's like one of the most important lessons you've learned? You're now retired, but like, what's what are a couple big nuggets like reflecting back in the, in this whole journey of yours? I guess the biggest thing is never stop learning or never stop trying to learn. Uh, I mean, you, you, it's like it goes back to football and Bo Schembechler, who I played for. He said uh, he always used to tell us that uh, you know never be satisfied with what you're doing. Make sure that you're better tomorrow than you were today. And then part of that is learning. And I did that in broadcasting. I did it during my uh, 31 years at the Lions and all the years at Michigan. I'd listen to broadcast. I'd self-scout. I'd say, hey, what are you doing that could make it better? And, and what do you hear from somebody else that you can learn from them to make it better? And so I think that's the biggest key for me. And I started at Channel 25 in Saginaw. And we, a little tiny station, we had a four-person news department. And yet I learned from their uh, news director and one of their, their reporters, you know, there were certain tricks that they did. I, I kind of took with me as I went along the way. So along the way, throughout my career, there were always people uh, that I was able to learn from and then somehow incorporate into my own style. Uh, and, and, and it kept me uh, engaged. You know, I mean, it's the whole story. If you think you've got it, then, then what's to do tomorrow? And you can't ever think you've, I've got it. I'm there. You can never think that. It's like I always tell somebody who plays golf or plays football, and they say, man, I'm really good. And I said, no, there's somebody out there that's better. Hmm. If you ever think that you're the best, then you've given up a few spots. That's really great perspective. I want to go back, back. There's, a, there, there's something out there that I read that all of your family goes to MSU. 
and you decide to go to Michigan? <laughs> That's one of those weird ones. Um, you're in high school. You don't know what you know. decision you're going to make is going to affect the rest of your life. But we were playing Ann Arbor Pioneer in high school, and I had a good game, and it just so happened there were some Michigan coaches there. Even though my father was a faculty member at Michigan State, is the director of the School of Criminal Justice, and my brother Art played there, uh, they knew that at Michigan, and they came to my high school and said, do you think he'd even be interested and ask our head coach that? And our head coach said, you know, I'll go ask him. So I was, I think, in biology class or something, I forget. And uh, the head coach of football in my high school happened to be a mathematics teacher, walked in and said, hey, can I talk to Jim for a minute? And so I walked out in the hall and he said, hey, would you be interested in talking to the University of Michigan uh, about a possible grant and aid scholarship to play football there? Well, that was kind of out of the blue. And I had any preconceived notions of where or what I'd want to do. And so when I talked to them, and Bump Elliott recruited me, and what a class guy. Uh, I was not a big Michigan State fan anyway, uh, because my brother Art's experience wasn't as good as it should have been. And I was a 10-year-old watching him go through that. And so I thought, I'll, I'll listen to Michigan. And then I got out to visit campus, and I just loved it. And um, I thought to myself, you know, even if you go up there and you're you know, part of the meat squad, you don't play a lick, at least you're going to get a great education from one of the top colleges in the United States of America. Take advantage of that degree. But you'll always also have the opportunity to find out whether you could play with the big boys in the Big Ten, which was on the back of my mind, too. And I've always loved to challenge. I've always loved to, hey, are you good enough? Well, let's, let's find out. And uh, like I said, when you're 17, you make that decision. You don't know it's going to affect you the rest of your life, but this one did. It created a career for me. Uh, it created lasting relationships, and it got me into broadcasting. And ultimately, uh, I owe so much to, to my time at the University of Michigan and playing football there. So, um, and, and my mom and dad and my brother never tried to steer me to Michigan State. That's the beauty of my family. They were very good about you make your own decision. You know, you're going to have to do this on your own. And yeah, we'd love to see you at Michigan State and just across the street from where I grew up. But you know, this is your life. You decide what you want to do. And literally two years after I made the decision to go to Michigan and they had visited me and they had come to some games and they had met Schembechler, they, they all felt that I had made the absolute right decision for me. That's awesome. So that's a night. That's 1971. And you 19, yeah, no, well, 1968 was my first year out of high school. And then my senior year in college was 1971, uh, playing for Michigan. And we had three great teams. Uh, we only lost uh, five games in three years. It was Bo Schembechler's first three years. And, of course, in 69, we won that watershed game against Ohio State 24-12. to So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, like I said, it was – it was it was it was quite a run. I, I, I look back on it and go, how lucky was I? So you go into broadcasting from football. You make the transition. I mean, was there something in you that, like, did people comment on your voice? Like to me, you <laughs> such a, your your voice is so recognizable. Like I hear you, and I'm like, I just think of the Michigan fight song. I think of the Lions, you know. But like, were people commenting on your voice? Like, what what kind of led you down that path? I don't know. It's weird because when I was in high school and when I was 14 years old, we would listen to broadcasters. I'll tell you a story. 
we were in East Lansing, and you know how back in the day you used to sit back. Well, you're too young. Back in the day, you used to sit by the radio, and you'd tune in a guy, you know, from a different town. And we heard Harry Carey back in the day from uh, Chicago, and there was a guy doing basketball for the Loyola Ramblers, the Loyola University team. His name was Red Rush. And he did broadcasts that were just out of this world. They were very Eufer-like, if you know Bob Eufer from Michigan. He would do things like uh, they were sponsored by Ganella Bread back in the day. And some guy would shoot a free throw, and he said, it's up and it's good, and it's oh so good, just like Ganella, G-O-N-N-E-L-L-A, Ganella. And I'm thinking, wow, is this cool? Or Ajax Tillman was one of their big centers on the Loyola team, and he'd go, Ajax Tillman, up, he gets the rebound, and he cleans the board so well. Why do you think they call him Ajax? I just thought, this this is so cool. And so throughout my young life, I just kind of gravitated toward that thing, you know, that, that broadcasting thing. But I'm in college, and I'm going to be an architect. Okay. Then I found out that there was a speech, radio, and television class <laughs> in my junior year. So I took it, and I loved it. And at that point, I started to investigate that, you know, what's a career in this in this area of study. And I found out radio and television was could be a career. And then I got a job in Saginaw where I was making literally about fifty bucks a week. <laughs> and 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 that's where you start. And and I started in Saginaw and then went to Jackson, then went to Detroit. And then my love was play by play. I always thought what what challenges you the most? Because if you do the six and the eleven news, you're reading a script that you've written. You're talking about something that has happened or something that's going to happen. But you're challenged by what's happening at that moment, and you help the listener or the viewer along. That, to me, was – that's what I want to do. So I started working my way toward that end, um, working for on TV and past sports way, way back in the day. Worked for the public broadcasting company on the high school game of the week. And then ultimately got to Michigan and the Lions, and the rest is history. What happens when you get that call? Like University of Michigan calls, and they're like, hey, we want you to be the, the announcer. Like, what, what's happening with you in that moment? You don't hesitate. You, you take it. You, you say, yes, I'll do it. Where do you want me? <clears throat> I'll do it for nothing. I mean, you, you have to have that job, and that's what you do. And uh, then, then the next thing in your brain, after you say yes, what am I going to get paid? I don't care. Just I'll do it. Uh, ultimately, what, the next thing comes to your brain is don't screw this up. <laughs> and, and, and that's really, truly how I felt when I first was asked to do Michigan football on WJR radio. I, 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 wow. To, I did some games for on TV and pass, and that was one of those things where it was kind of an experimental outfit. They were just starting, and maybe five or six people saw it. You know, it's, it's like those were the, the, the beginnings of – ESPN in a local area or Fox Sports Detroit basically is kind of the beginnings. And, and I so did some games for them. But then when WJR came with 50,000 watts, all of a sudden now I'm out there and there's real people going to listen and they're selling sponsorships and oh my goodness. And that's when you say, man, you can't screw this up. So you overprepare just, again, going back to my days with Shem Beckler in the football you overprepare. You do everything you can do to make sure you're as good as you possibly can be. And you work with your play-by-play -play guy as a team to create an entertaining, informative, and accurate broadcast. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, how much of, like, that team environment and, like, what Michigan football taught you to the rest of your future as being a broadcaster 
you know, that they hold because for me, I played baseball till about high school, then I kind of fizzled out, or there's a lot of entrepreneurs that maybe weren't brought up in sports. Like, how does like and I see the Michigan team now and how they just want like how how much of that drove your success in, in broadcasting? Every bit of it. I mean, I always believed, and it was true, that, that, that you didn't succeed unless your team succeeded. So you're always helping the other guy. Whatever it is, however it happens, you want to help that person. That That's what I think is so great about industry and about business, that you now see people out there in business who talk to CEOs, and they talk about team building. I mean, that, that's one of those catchphrases now. Well, it's because you accomplish more as a team. If you don't care, if nobody cares who gets the credit, except you do the best job possible as a group, ultimately you'll succeed in some way, somehow. As a member of that team, if you have great success, that individual will be recognized. But it's first things first, and that's team success. And so whenever I went into any project and worked with Frank Beckman, worked with Mark Champion, worked with Larry Henry, worked with Ray Lane as a play-by-play broadcaster, I always, at least for me, was very cognizant of their job, what they were doing, what they were saying, and how I needed to react to that. So they became part of a two-person team doing one game. You don't want two guys separately doing one game. You want two guys together doing the same game. And I always really worked hard at doing that. And... To be honest with you, certain play-by-play broadcasters have different patterns and rhythms that they do during a, uh, during a call, and, and you've got to learn that. But you know, th- those, are, those are the things that make the broadcast great. Because ultimately in broadcasting, it's not about you and it's not about the play-by-play guy. It's about the guy at the other end of the radio. If he's enjoying it, if you brought him to the stadium and, and he's having a great time listening to that game, that's the goal. And so that's kind of where I was in the back of my head when we went to broadcast. That's what we, we tried to do. That's great. So you're, you do Michigan football and then you get the call. Yeah. And you get to, now you're the Lions broadcaster. Like, how, how does that happen? Well, this is the longest, this is kind of a neat story too. You remember Russ Thomas used to be the general manager of the Detroit Lions way, way, way back. And again, I've had a lot of years in this business and he used to be the general manager for the Lions and, was not a well-liked personality, but I had actually gone to school with his son. And I had come to Detroit as a broadcaster, and I knew Russ uh, real well because he had come to Father's Weekends at Michigan in the fraternity, and we got to know him and all that. And uh, I would interviewed him uh, as a general manager of the Lions when I was working at Channel 4. Well, the Lions wanted to do a new play-by-play team, and they hired Mark Champion uh, out of uh, Tampa. And I had already done the games with Frank and Charlie Sanders on WJR, but the game switched to a different radio station. And I still wanted to do the games because at the time I was only freelancing, and that was the only job I had was Michigan football. And if I keep doing the Lions games and Michigan replay, those were my three things that I did. Uh, that was helping me become financially and economically successful. So I wanted to keep the Lions broadcast in there. So I – made a pitch to the Lions. I made a pitch to the radio station. I don't, you know, work for the JR when we do the, you know, Michigan games. I'm a separate, I'm not on their air. I'm not part of their broadcast group. I'm a, a private contractor, sole proprietor guy. 
So I can work for you, and the call letters don't stick to me. So they were kind of willing to do that. Well, then the Lions come in, and the, the station wanted to hire a former coach in the NFL named George Allen, who was I got, he was 100 years old at the time. And I'll never forget, we had a meeting at uh, Fox and Hounds Restaurant. It's not there anymore, on Woodward Avenue, over by Long Lake. And that's where the Lions used, they used to train at Cranbrook back in the day. But Russ was a member of that, that group. And, and it was the radio guy, and it was Russ, and it was some other executives, and me. And George Allen wasn't there, but they were pushing George Allen, the radio guys, were to Russ. And Russ looked at them and said, you know, here you got a kid that is a Lions fan. He's been in broadcasting in this town for a couple of years. He's already got experience doing Michigan football, and their success under Schembechler has been remarkable. So he's already a known quantity. Why in the world wouldn't you want him to help and join your broadcast with the brand-new play-by-play guy? Well, the, the radio guys are still trying to get George Allen, and Russ was a hard man. Russ was – and he said – no, uh-uh. George Allen, that ain't going to work. And he's not going to be a guy that's going to work for you for 15, 20 years. He's going to have five, six years. Somebody's going to come along. He's going to network job. You're done. I know this young guy here. He's going to work for you for a while. So they hired me. And uh, I owe Russ Thomas a tremendous amount of that. And then, of course, I knew I could do it. I wanted to do it because I had I'd done some of it before. Uh, and now I was going to you know, be the guy with Mark Champion. So... That's how it happened. And then, then the same thing went through my mind. Thank the Lord I got it. Now, don't screw it up. You know, make sure you're really super prepared and that you do the best job possible, that you and Mark create your own style and your own kind of dynamic so that the fans of the Detroit Lions can, can quote-unquote, embrace you as much as they embrace the team. And, and I told Mark that when he first came in here. I said, Mark, Detroit's different than a lot of different, a lot of places. These fans, these people, they're in the Upper Peninsula listening. And when you come from Tampa, yeah. you go over to the Jacksonville area, you don't have many Tampa fans there. You go to Miami, there aren't many Tampa fans there. You go to Newberry, and there are Lions fans in Newberry. There are Lions fans in Alpena and the Sioux. This is a – so you've got to embrace this state. And uh, Mark did a good job with that. And Mark went on to do the broadcasting for the Detroit Pistons, correct? Yeah, yeah. He, they changed up again the broadcast crew, and they got Dan Miller in, and I kind of fought to stay with the Lions. Uh, and Mark, the, the the Lions made a deal with Fox Two in Detroit because it was a nice marriage because Dan was working for Fox Two, and all the NFC games were carried by Fox Two, so they got a double dip with Dan. But he could do TV work for him, and he could do the radio play by play. So that's how Dan kind of fit into the play-by-play voice, not to mention the fact that he's really, really good. And he's become, quote-unquote, the voice of the Lions in the last 14 years or 15 years. So, But Mark then moved on, and he was able to work uh, with the Detroit Pistons because George Blaha was doing um, a lot of TV. And, and then they would simulcast the Piston games from television to radio, and it never really worked. So they split it up, and they made a separate radio crew. So when George was doing TV, Mark did radio, and now he's just done a brilliant job, in my opinion, of becoming the voice of the Pistons on radio. So, Jim, I think I met you like over a decade ago, but I think today's probably the coolest time to be talking to you because a couple of things happened. Uh, Michigan wins the national championship. 
and the Lions are about to play for the NFC division title, like what what is all what does this mean to you? Like how how does this just I mean you I can't I can't even describe it myself, but I mean coming from you on both sides of the of the coin, yeah, yeah what's that mean to you? I'll tell you why it's funny, Wes. It's 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 emotional. I mean, you and I've had people who are my friends and and uh, to tell me, and, and it's not just me as a broadcaster, as a guy who's been, you know, embedded in both organizations. But friends who are fans have talked about it's just a game. Why does it mean so much to me? You know, but it's not. It's what we grew up with. You know, I mean, we we were all Lions fans, and I was like I said, a Michigan fan and a. Michigan player. So when, when you see them do well, it's like a family member doing well. And that's kind of the, that's kind of the deal. Uh, and that's kind of what, what got me interested in it and, and what it may, what it means to me. And so many fans out there are emotional, just like that. And then it's the same thing for Michigan. There are people that have, following Michigan for someone wanted to get back to that national championship to get Michigan to that quote unquote elite status. I thought they were always elite. They never weren't elite, but, but here they are now uh, as national champions. And it's an emotional experience. It's like, God, I'm glad we're here. Same thing with the lions and season ticket holders from 1970 and 65 and 50 years, they've gone to those games. And now here they are in an NFC championship game. It's just, I, I guess the way to explain it and talk about how 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 cool it is is just to talk about it's an emotional experience. Most times, most people wouldn't describe a football game and a football win as being emotional for a fan or just watching. It's entertainment, right? Yep. Well, no, it's more than that. And, and I think for Detroit fans and Lions fans, emotional is the word to use. Did you go to the game? Did you go to any of those games? Any of the final Michigan well, no, games? I, I, I was in Florida. I, if I were in Detroit, I would have gone to the national championship game. It would have been easier. But from Florida to go down there, uh, it would have been well, an arm and a leg, and then I wouldn't have had a ticket. Yep. I couldn't have gotten to the press box. So it was, it was the logistics just didn't allow me to, to get it done. But I was right there with the TV both times. And I, same thing with the Lions. And Ford Field was absolutely a madhouse. And it was so great to see. Uh, the people of uh, the fans of the Detroit Lions, because like I said, they come from all over, from Grand Rapids, from Alpena, Traverse City, the Upper Peninsula, to have them experience that joy uh, of, of winning a playoff game at home. Uh, it's just as good as it gets. I couldn't I couldn't hear for two days after I went to the first playoff game. Wasn't that a beautiful thing, Wes? I mean, like I said, I don't know whether the idea of being emotional struck you, but but that's how I think I felt at home, and that's I, most of the people there. You just don't want to leave your seat. No, you, you want to soak in that atmosphere. It's just a football game, right? No, it's not. It's more than that. It was amazing to see you know Matt Stafford come out. Like that's what I was really excited for. I mean, he was such an amazing quarterback for the Detroit Lions, and watching him come out, watching the fans, and kind of taking it all in. I mean, I'm not as. I mean, there was some. There were some people breaking down, crying. I mean, it was just an amazing experience to be around and see all that energy. Um, and I kept thinking about you. I was like, I wonder what what Jim, um, how, how he's feeling. There's something I saw that I thought was really cool. So you 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 retired, correct? It's been a couple years now, or yep. So I saw a clip on YouTube where uh, Doug Karsh hands you oh. 
hands you his mic and you called like the last play of the Ohio State game or something. I did. It was uh, the last play of the Ohio State game in 21. Of course, I did. It was a famous call. And so I'm up in the press box for all Michigan games and we're playing Ohio State this past season, 2023. And before the game, I usually stop down and say hello to John and Doug and Tony Butler, our engineer, who's just a delightful guy who I love to death. And just say hello to him, and then I go sit down, and I don't bother him the rest of the way. Well, I was in there pregame saying hello. Doug said, hey, we're winning at the end of the game. Come on in. And I said, yeah, okay. And so if you remember the game, we intercept a pass, and they're reviewing it. Well, I ain't walking in that door until that review is over and it's good. You know, I'm standing in the hallway. And I just figured Doug and John are going to want to talk about the game, you know, and, and, and a little analysis of what and why and what for. And uh, so we get to the game, and they say it's a good interception. I walk in, Doug hands me the headset and said, you call the last play. Out of the blue. And I had, did not see that coming. And I was – I didn't know what to do, actually. I so, I so I just polished off. I said, look, it was good enough two years ago. It's good enough now. Ladies and gentlemen, Wolverine Nation, Ohio State is vanquished. Michigan will go to Indianapolis and play for the Big Ten Championship, their third straight. J.J. McCarthy takes a knee, and that'll do it. And then I turned to Doug, and I said, Doug, it's all yours from here. That, but it was really classy and a wonderful gesture by Doug Carson. I'll always be thankful for that. That was so cool, so cool to see. So one of my best friends is like, you got to ask Jim a question for me. <laughs> he said, Who, who's a better coach, Harbaugh or Schumbeckler? And I, and I asked this because I ask it from the perspective of I have five kids, four boys and one little girl, and they all think that they're my favorite. Like, each of them, they're my favorite. Of course they do, yeah. And, and, I mean, obviously, both of those coaches are just – there's a legacy. There's so much. But, like, what's a little bit about you with Harbaugh and Bo Schumbeckler? I mean, there's just so much out there. Um, it's so – you know what? It's a little generational, too. And it's hard to answer that question because they both coached at different times, you know, and, 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 and the dynamics were totally different. Bo wouldn't have been able to coach in the NIL uh, uh, transfer portal era. In my opinion, that's ultimately what, what, what got Nick Saban to walk. Uh, you know, he, he, he doesn't want to have to deal with it. I mean, you've got high school seniors walking in asking for money. Bo would have just absolutely, you know, thrown the kid out the window from the second floor if he had done that. I think I like that. Yeah, but but Jim has to deal with that. That's what he's been um, given. That's that's the that's the environment that he has to play in. But from an X's and O's standpoint, they're very similar. Now, Bo at the time was a taskmaster, a very difficult, hard nosed discipline guys that played for him. I didn't like him very much for the first, for my years there. I mean, he, he pushed us to points we never thought we could get. We didn't realize how, how great he was for us until we graduated. Jim, on the other hand, is, is a great motivator too. And, and he has to be, to, and he's a great recruiter because great players don't come unless you can convince them to come. And, and he's got great players, but he gets them to play. And this year, I think, was the greatest. This is where they're similar. You take a divergent bunch of guys, all right, and you tell them, okay, pack up your personal stuff and put it in the locker. You're playing for Michigan. You're playing for the team. They both did the same thing. So that's where they're similar. X's and O's standpoint, they're also very similar. They believed in running the ball 
and and stopping the run and playing with a very very hard stop the run defense physical and 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 so both of them believed in that stuff and Jim learned that from Bo. But I think that it's the environment that they navigated while they were coaching that separates them. And I don't think you can say one's better than the other. Um, Jim may have had a more – no, nah, see, because back in the day, Michigan and Ohio State were still ruling the roost, and those those two teams are always one and two in the country. So, you know, with Jim and, and Ohio State, even this year, it's the same kind of thing. So – they're very similar in that way, but you know, better coach. Bo was an unbelievable coach, and he was able to adapt. You know, he ran the ball as much as he wanted, but when John Wangler and Anthony Carter came in, he became a coach that threw the ball a lot. And then uh, Jim wanted to run, even though he's got great receivers. He made sure that Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards got their got their time. So uh, I think they're both very similar. Um, to call them better is difficult because it's a whole different era. It's like you're a baseball guy. It's like you know comparing baseball um, guys and players. Was how would Maggio be any good today? Yeah, you know, and would Pete Rose be any good today? You know, that, there's a different kind of dynamic. Pitchers, Mickey Lowich, would he be a guy today? I mean, imagine Mickey could have probably pitched until he was 50 if he only had to pitch seven innings. I mean, you're you're probably the best subject matter expert, like. What is like the NIL and transfer portal? Like, what's actually changed in college football? You know, that NIL and transfer portal and kids now coming out of high school asking for money. Like, what's actually gone on there? Well, what's actually changed is, and I hope we don't lose this, but we've, we've kind of lost the educational component. Okay. I mean, seriously, I mean, when I was a kid, when you were – young and you went to school wherever it was to get a degree. I went to school to get my degree from the University of Michigan. I didn't go there to play football. Okay. And if I didn't play my sophomore year, I didn't look around and say, oh, I'm going to go over there and play. I was locked in. I was going to play at Michigan. I was going to get my degree from Michigan. Nowadays, that's not the case. In addition to that, I never got any money. The money I got was the scholarship, the, the, the ability for my parents not to have to pay tuition Rome, board, books, the whole nine yards. That that's that was kind of my payment. It was my parents benefited because they didn't have to pay for all that stuff. And and nowadays it's almost a little like I don't want to call it semi-pro that these kids now come to school and they become free agents after a year. And 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 so it's the loyalty. That's why the, this Michigan team that won the national championship was special. A lot of those kids could have gone on to the pros in the NFL last year. Mm-hmm. Or they could have transferred out and gone somewhere else. Some of the kids did. Eric All, uh, um, quarterback, uh, uh, that went to Iowa. Uh, they, they, they transferred out. But, but the, the nucleus of kids stayed at Michigan to play for Michigan. Uh, they made NIL money. It wasn't that they didn't benefit from that but their driving focus and their driving uh uh idea was that they wanted to win for michigan and win a national championship and i think the difference is is that the 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 motivation of of why you're there uh has somehow changed for some and like for instance i mean i think about this there's a great young quarterback not young anymore but he started at uh, clemson yugo lele uh he was a 
five-star guy. He started at Clemson. It didn't work out. They sat him down. He, he, he uh, transfer portaled out to Oregon State, played there last year, had a great year. Uh, new coach comes in uh, because the new coach at Oregon State comes to Michigan State. He leaves, and he's going to play somewhere else next year. He's playing at a third school in three years. And um, I, I don't know, that's not the idea of, 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 you know, of college football, what you want. I think he's, play, he's he went to Florida State, I think, actually. So he's played for Clemson, Florida, Clemson, Oregon State, and Florida State in three years. And I just, to me, that's the, and NIL money is, is, is part of the mix in moving kids from one place to another because some kids can get more money at a certain school if, if they end. And not all schools are equal in how they handle NIL in their programs. For instance, Michigan is not as aggressive in their NIL programs as some other teams, as some other schools. Classic example, and I don't want to get into the weeds in this, but Hunter Dickinson, who was a great center for the Michigan basketball team, he, he had readily admitted he, he left Michigan his last year and went to Kansas, and he readily admitted it because they offered me more money. Hmm. Is it it's a, is it the wild wild west? Any any school yes. can offer whatever they want, or yes, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, that's, it's a great nil. That stands for name, image, and likeness, and that's for like they can get money for for anything, or donors can yeah. come in and pay them. And well, and and then it's not just that; it's every athlete on the thing. I mean, there's there's name, image, and likeness uh, funds that they call them collectives now. Where every athlete on scholarship will get a five hundred dollar a month stipend or something, and and other guys can make their own deal uh, for 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 extra stuff. Uh, they have agents, and and they can do they can do all kinds of things. I mean, you you had last year the Southern California quarterback Caleb Williams, who is a Heisman Trophy winner, was doing Wendy's commercials with with Matt Leiner, who is a former Heisman Trophy winner for Southern California. Uh, and, he, and, and you know what, I'm not saying it's wrong yeah. that he shouldn't have the ability to benefit from his talent as a football player. But but somewhere there's a middle ground where we can maintain some kind of, like I said, the educational aspect. It's like, why are all these paid athletes playing under the banner of the University of Michigan or Southern California? When... Uh, you know, it's like they're almost semi-pro. Shouldn't, maybe they should be called, instead of Southern California Trojans, Southern California Sabres. Uh, and wear the same colors and all that stuff. And pay use, and pay USC uh, rent to, to use the, 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 uh, the Coliseum. I, I, I'm just, those are, those are far out there. But, you know, carry it another step and another step and another step further. Uh, those are all issues, especially when you get into this paid athlete, but name, image, and likeness and the transfer portal has changed the entire landscape in the face of collegiate football. And the NCAA, in my opinion, will soon be a defunct organization, at least in handling football or basketball, that they're basically uh, trying to uh, remain relevant in, in these last couple of years, because ultimately I think what's going to happen, and well, the bowl system is over, Wes. You know, the college bowl games you used to have fun yeah. with? Well, there's going to be a 12-team playoff next year. What I heard. Who's going to watch Team 13 play Team 18 in the Bahama Bowl? <laughs> and that community is going to lose money. 
you know, and wherever it is, or the Nashville Bowl, or the Music City Bowl, or for that matter, in Detroit, the Motor City Bowl, or the Quick Lube, uh, whatever it is, Bowl. I mean, are they going to be able to, to, to withstand what has become this 12-team playoff? And pretty soon, you and I know it, it's going to become a 16-team playoff. Then, all these other teams that are out there, and, it's, and they're going to govern themselves. They're going to have a, like a premium league. And the NCAA is not going to have anything to say about it. I don't think. And it's going to be football and basketball. How do you feel about, I heard the news yesterday, that uh, Harbaugh is going to the NFL is that well, I, I, I the intimacy of, of this story with Harbaugh? But for me, as just like a a civilian, for me, my optics, it's like, who wants this guy out so bad? And why are, you know, who's making this guy's life so difficult? I mean, here he came in struggling a little bit. They just won the national championship. And I'm sitting here like, what a, what a story. You know, so you, you leave on top and go to the NFL. It's like, push this guy right out the door. But, well, and, and again, and, uh, I'm disappointed, you know, that he's selfishly that he's leaving. But I, I thank him for all he did for Michigan. And 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 it's not so much that they push him out the door. It's like they're nipping at his heels all the time saying, you did this and you did this. And he's been suspended three games. And then the NCAA suspends him for three more. And and they have no proof. I mean, have you seen any concrete evidence that, that there's proof that, that anybody did anything wrong in any of this stuff? No, but it's all – the media needs a story. So they make it out to be a story. And and Jim is sitting there coaching a team, winning a national championship. He, so he's risen to the top of the mountain. And if you're him and, and the Los Angeles Chargers come by and say, here's $15 million. <laughs> I got a, a quarterback that's elite franchise quarterback. I got a veteran team that's pretty darn good. I got a brand new three-year-old stadium in Los Angeles. And uh, you played for me, the Spanos family. You know, we're buddies. I'll give you all, you know, everything you can get. And Jim's sitting there going, I, I, I got this out there, and, and I got all these little nippy pap people on my butt around here, rules and regulations that are hard to follow. Do you know the NCAA is proposing recently, it'll, it'll get blown out, I think, but recently proposed that I call it like the Harbaugh ruler, the Harbaugh. Uh, uh, idea, they they they're trying to get in a a clause that says that that every college football coach is responsible for any action of any member of his staff, hmm. anything whether he knows it or not. Now, yeah, I, how can you do that? I mean, I, I, every coach in America would fight that. And yet, that's what the NCAA is proposing. When you talk about draconian, that, that's a rule nobody could actually follow. Because, I mean, how do you know what, you know, if an assistant coach does that, and he doesn't even, and the assistant coach doesn't know it. So he buys a kid a hamburger, or he sends, gives a parent, you know, uh, uh, some advice or something on how they, or gives a ride to a parent after a recruiting meeting to the airport. Somebody reports him, and that becomes a violation. The head coach gets suspended and the program does because the assistant coach does that. And he didn't even know it. That's crazy. It is. Well, that's what the NCAA is kind of trying to do. That's the latest, and I don't think it'll it'll stand past muster. But but, but if you're Jim Harbaugh, and to get back to our original question, 
do you want to have that? Do you want to be living in that environment when you could be in a much more transparent thing where the guys that are playing the game are getting paid and it's no big deal? <laughs> but they've got agents and they contract. And, and and ultimately, he would love to win a Super Bowl. I mean, let's face it. you We all have goals and we all have uh, aspirations. Jim got to a Super Bowl at one point, uh, lost to his brother, John. Um, and if they want him in the NFL and it's a good situation, uh, I, I'm all for him. I, I thank him. I'm, I wish him well. I'm disappointed that he's gone. I'm, I wish he'd stay. But you know what? I understand it. And uh, if it's the best thing for Jim Harbaugh, I'm good with it. That's awesome. I mean, what, what are the odds that uh, another Harbaugh wins a Super Bowl in a couple weeks here? One with the national championship and one with the Super Bowl. I mean, I love the Lions, and I hope that they yeah. do well. But Ravens are looking pretty good. Yeah, they are. It'd be amazing. Uh, Jack and Jackie Harbaugh, the parents. I mean, I know both of them. They're great people. But would not would that be amazing if Jim and John, at the end of the day, in the two biggest you know football worlds that exist out there, were both standing at the top of the mountain? That would be fabulous. So Jimmy retired. What do you? What keeps you busy? What do you? What, what what's your passions? What are you working on? Hanging out with guys like you, <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm I'm kind of I don't you know when I retired I didn't want to go away and die, I didn't want to disappear, I wanted to stay engaged. I still felt, as they say in basketball, I still felt I had some game. I just didn't want to do the traveling and all this stuff with the play by play and all that, and and, and plus. The things that were happening around college football, just like what we've been talking about, they're not my thing. So I'm, I got out right just in time. But I also felt that I had – I still got some game, right? Now the question becomes when you make that determination, Wes, where do you play that game? Yeah. For me, the broadcast waves are kind of old. So I get, you get social media. The opportunity for me to write commentaries – uh, to have this conversation with you, but maybe on paper, uh, in a Facebook, uh, on my YouTube channel, and um, and my website, jimbrandstatter.com. I have a book called Voices of Michigan Stadium that's, that's out. It's a project of mine. I went in my garage. I had interviews with players and coaches from way back in the day from Michigan, and I saved. And I went out in the garage and found them. I was able to clean them up on my computer with a program, and I wrote to them, and I basically wrote an audio book. It's kind of like the history of Michigan Stadium, or Michigan, Michigan, uh, the history of the oral history of Michigan football. I mean, Wes, I've got the guy that scored the first touchdown ever at Michigan Stadium from 1927. Wow. His name was Kip Taylor. I did an interview with him when he was 90 years old at Don Canham's offices. And I've got him telling the story of running down the field with Benny Oosterbaan and scoring that score. And it's in his voice. And he tells that story. And when I listened to it, I went, man, this is pure gold from a historical standpoint. I've got Bo Schembechler in his own voice. When you hear Bo tell his stories, the intensity and the passion with which he talks, it will get your, uh, it'll get you, give you goosebumps. And, and they're still there. So I wrote this, uh, this book called Voices of Michigan Stadium. Ron Kramer, Ron Johnson, Desmond Howard, some of the great plays in Michigan Stadium history. I talk, we, we get people to talk about them. And uh, it's really, I think, a neat project because it's, it's 
resurrecting the history of Michigan football. When I went out and promoted the book, I'd go to these meetings and I'd mention a couple of names like Bob Chapius. And they, and, I, and they, people look at me like I was talking Greek. And I'd, I'd ask them, I said, how many of you know who Bob Chapius is? Raise your hands. And very few of them would. And I went, that can't happen. This guy was J.J. McCarthy. Yeah, seven yeah. Years, he was J.J. McCarthy 70 years ago. So we, we, we have to remember him because those are the guys, the shoulders we stood on to create the, the tradition and the history of Michigan football that they're celebrating today. And so that book's out there, and you can buy it on uh, jimbrassner.com. I've got links to Amazon, and, and i got seven CD sets. Um, my YouTube channel has – I'm doing some things with little videos, little one-minute commentaries. I'm writing things for my Facebook page. So that's where I play the game now, and it, and it keeps me engaged and involved. And uh, so that's kind of what I'm doing. Having fun? Yeah, I am. I really am. It's, it's – uh, you know, as like I said, I don't think you want to sit down and you go over in a corner and, you know, drink milk and eat Cheerios and go away. There's still things. And I still, like you said, I'm emotional about the Lions. I, I've got a little thing that I'm going to do on my YouTube channel that's a, like a preview of the Lions-San Francisco game. Uh-huh. And, and I've got a written thing about it that I'm going to, I'm going to put on my blog on the website. So, yeah, and I'm not going to work every day. I mean, I'm not going to do this. You know, this is not an everyday thing because I found the biggest thing about retirement is you must re- you must control your own hours because there are people out there that will want to control them for you. Yeah, for sure. And I'm sure you got a lot like me asking you to come on a podcast. Right? There you go. There you go. But, but what I'm saying is that there are, there are things that – and speaking engagements and things like that. So I, I – uh, I'm learning to say no a little bit, but I'm also finding, you know, a release, if you will, of my creative juices uh, in writing and doing commentaries and the things that are in my wheelhouse Um, and just things that are normal. And last year, Robbie and I went up to northern Michigan to hail to the Iosco County Fair. (laughs) Now, you wouldn't think that's much. I'm walking around and there are pigs and cows and goats and the kids from the 4-H are over there telling us all about them and they've got them named. And it's it was such a delightful four hours walking around this this place. And it reminded me of, I, I left, just put it this way, given what's going on in our Congress and in Michigan and Lansing and the politics of, of destruction and all the things that you see on the news stations these days to go up to this thing. Robbie and I came and were driving back from it, and, I, and both of us had hope that there is hope that that there's kids and there's people out there that uh, really are, are part of the United States of America that we knew, and they're very respectful. Uh, and, and it was just a great moment. I, I urge anyone that's possible. But find a little country fair somewhere in a small community and take a day and go out there. Have an elephant ear and, and go see the pigs. Well, it's, really it's, cool. you can, I know you're yeah. like really, you know, really busy traveling, doing all that, and now you can take the time and, and enjoy. That, that, that's amazing. I've had it, you know, uh, my kids play football, and I got voluntold to be the announcer. So I think of you often because I'm the well, announcer for Northville. Colts football. I was going to ask you, we talked before and you told me you were going to do it. How has it been going? You know, it's really good. I've been getting good feedback. And you know, what's, what's interesting. I think of you often because when I do it, it's, it's really weird. 
like <laughs> sometimes I speak in front of people or I do things and I don't get nervous. But when I announce that game, like I get really nervous. You know, I'm trying to make it great because I've been on the other side, right, where I'm listening to announcers. and I'm like kind of, you know, but I, I had the opportunity to do it twice now at the big house. Uh, we didn't go up in the big booth, but like on the sidelines. And uh, sure. what a cool experience. I think of you all the time because I'm like to show up here every week and do it when this place is packed with yeah, yeah. 10,000 people and just passion. I mean, I see my kids on the field, so I'm super passionate. But to be able to do it at that scale week in, week out and control that narrative. And there's so many people that that just love you. And you've been the voice for Michigan and the Lions uh, for so many years. And I was very lucky, uh, you know, to to have that. I mean, lucky in a lot of ways. I mean, where I played, so it, 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 to, to be able to do that where I graduated, and, and for the team that I played for, you don't find that often. And and that to me was uh, that's great. But isn't it fun though? To the passion you bring to the game it, it, through the radio, it, what what people hear out there, that's that's what you're able to sell and bring them. I I, I always found that that was the the real the thing I appreciated most when people would say stuff to me, I really would be appreciative when they say, I love your, your passion and, and, and what you bring and how you brought me to the stadium. And especially when they're listening in their car, that to me is the best thing that they could say. My one buddy told me I have a face for radio. So that was one. Of the- <laughs> well, join the crowd. <laughs> well, Jim, well, Hey, yeah. I mean, you, you, so your website out there, how can people contact you or get, you know, you've got such a great, like the podcast, the right. YouTube stuff. Is it, is it your website? What's your website? Well, the, website the website is jimbranstetter.com and there's a contact me uh, page on there. So you can, you can send me an email. Uh, my podcast is called conversations with the Brandy show. And uh, I've got like guys like Jerome Bettis, Dick Purton from old episodes. And I'll do some more this spring. Um, and that's that's the other that's one of the things that I do. And you can you can basically get there from jimbrandstatter.com. You can get to my YouTube channel. Uh, you can get to Facebook from there too. So uh, that's like the clearinghouse, and um, kind of owe you for that because you were the guy that first got me started with my website and jimbrandstatter.com. That was awesome to meet you then. What's your prediction? Who wins the Super Bowl? <sighs> if it ain't the Lions, then I think it's going to be uh, Baltimore. Lions. Lions beat the 49ers Sunday? I don't I don't think so. I, I wish I could – I wish they were yeah, – I just – they the Lions had Ford Field. You know what the atmosphere was like. That's like – most people say playing at home is worth three points. It, for the Lions, it was worth seven. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I, I just think on the road it's going to be more difficult. Plus, the 49ers are that team that felt screwed last year because they, they got injured at quarterback. Remember, and they they couldn't even they weren't even competitive because they had no quarterback because he was hurt. And I think they feel that the football gods owe them something, and they're playing at home. Yep. So so I, I do give the edge to San Francisco without alienating any Detroit fans. I'd love them to be there, but I also think that uh, Lamar Jackson for Baltimore has been like otherworldly this year. Yeah. And and if he has a a Lamar Jackson game. Uh, in the in the AFC Finals against Patrick Mahomes and the Super Bowl, I I I don't know whether there's anybody can beat them. Well, enjoy the next couple weekends. A lot of great football. I really appreciate you taking the time, Jim. O- always a pleasure, and I thank you so much. And I'm gonna let you get back to retirement, enjoying the good luck. <laughs> Thanks, Wes. Anytime. It was great talking with you. You take care.
Thanks, Jeb. Appreciate it. This has been another episode of Entrepreneur Intel. Thank you for joining us. For show notes or other episodes, please visit us at entrepreneurintel.com. Until next time.